Welcome again. We have been for the last five days or so following a remarkable breakout of revival at Asbury University. You've read about it. You've heard about it. If you've been listening to us, you've certainly heard about it. Um, it is now up to 20, more than 20 other universities that are busing and sending and other students coming from major universities all across America. This is a good thing. This is quite a contrast to what you hear talking, most people talking about in the um, uh, liberal context of these classes are being taught by people that have all kinds of crazy ideas. And uh, in the midst of all of that, it just shows you the power of the gospel to work in people's lives. So the, um, and then we also talked about, this is all about young adults, whether it's in the university or whether it's in Hope Corps, and young adults who um, are penetrating universities with campus ministries in remarkable ways. And we talked about one in Kansas last week. So uh, the revival goes on there. We are very keenly interested in what is happening, and it is continuing. Um, Kudos to the administration who has not stopped this. Now, I am sure, in fact, I know that there are detractors to what is going on there and that these young people are going to be and already have been uh, submitted to inspection uh, and critique in ways that some of them have been negative and some of them have been positive. The negatives come from people. This is this is very interesting. It comes from people who think that these young people are too enthusiastic or are too emotional um, and uh, are are going to extremes. They're extremists or they're 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 going that direction, and that their worship should be more formalized and structured. On and on this list goes. And many of the things that's happening in this revival, frankly, are not happening in many churches that these young people come from. And these are not just Methodist churches. These are churches of all kinds that would probably generally broadly call themselves evangelical. uh, And certainly they would call themselves Christian. So when you look at this spectrum of things that are taking place you want to you want to find a way to balance that against the word of god uh now now just let me say we we just don't have any other fully trustworthy uh construct to use as a backdrop to judge what we do in our worship of God or how we have church or how far we go in worship or what happens when we worship and when we get in deep enough spiritually what takes place. We, we don't have any other construct except the Word of God. We've got a lot of clamoring voices that are trying to tell everybody what they can receive and what they can't receive. But the only authentic thing we have, at least on all things apostolic, the only authentic thing we have is this book, The Word of God. 
And uh, so that's what's important. So when we look at this in the Word of God, we see a, a lot of interesting things that took place that absolutely do not match what many churches do today. And some of them have to do with worship. And uh, in, in, virtually, in virtually every century since the church was started, you can find people who are worshiping God in ways that the mainline um, controlling powers felt like were extreme or felt like were out of order. You can go back to the 13, 1400s to the Albigenses and the Waldenses. You can go, you can go into the, the, the 16 and 1700s until you get into uh, not only the revival in Western Europe, but the revival in the 1700s in Eastern Europe. And uh, Stephen Minow and uh, many other people that uh, had a profound impact in their preaching and where the Spirit of the Lord moved greatly. Uh, there may be n- not anywhere that had more revival than did England and the great uh, revivals in Wales that took place uh, are are remarkable. And when you read about them, uh, these people got into the spirit and uh, allowed the spirit to have its way with them. So how does it come about that we get to where we are today? And there are many churches that are very suspicious of any kind of worship like is going on in Asbury right now, uh, raising their hands and weeping and openly worshiping God and praying out loud and repenting of sins and getting caught up in uh, uh, worship choruses to the point that they are somewhat oblivious of what's going on around them. Many of these things, there are people that look suspect at all of that. Well, of course, we don't because we understand that, and that's not being pompous. That is true. And the reason we understand that is because we understand that in the 20th century, the primary thought processes were all what we called modernism. They were all about following the scientific method. They came out of rationalism. Everything has to be rational. And uh, logic reigns as both king and queen. And uh, if it can't be proved in a test tube, then we cannot validate that it's really real and true. This came out of, in the 20th century, this came out of the Enlightenment back in the 1700s and maybe even a little earlier than that in its, in its beginning. And um, so all of this has formed the way people think. This is, why, this is why we say when you read the Bible, oftentimes people do not get the fullness of it. Maybe none of us get the fullness of it because it is written to a time that people, they thought in a different way than what we think in the Western mind today. Their thought processes were different. They were much more acclimated. I'll just give you one example. To dreams and visions, they were much more acclimated to Uh, connection between the heavenly world and the earthly world. That's the way they lived. This was not something that they just had to introduce on top of of a a thought, a way of thinking that was adverse to that. This is the way they lived. And so when you read the Bible, those people didn't think any of those things were, were 
out of order when Peter's in jail and a angel comes and opens the door and lets him out. They didn't think of that as something out of order. Uh, something, I mean, they knew it was unusual, but uh, we would think, you know, well, where did he get the gate opener? And and um, and he clicked the right button at the right time on the electric gate and got him out. And so there's always this attempt to reduce. It's a it's a rational reductionism to reduce everything uh, to explainability without getting into the spiritual or the supernatural. Well, so one of the things that we have repeated here, and it's worth repeating again right now, at least for a couple seconds here, is that a human being is not all cognition. Uh, cognitive is how we cognize things. We, we, we think them through in our minds, and we grasp them, and we categorize them, and our mind does all of these things. Uh, but people are not all simply cognitive. We know that people are also affective, from which we get affection and and love, and and that when you get into Christianity, um, Christianity cannot be gripped by cognition alone. Christianity includes that which has to do with our emotions, our volition, our will. Um, uh, our decision-making is influenced not simply by some detached way of thinking, but it's influenced by circumstances, feelings, uh, certainties and uncertainties that come in this area of ambiguity. All of this is part of us. So when you try to take Christianity and you try to isolate it over here to just anything that will submit itself to the scientific method, then what happens is, is that you will get things that can be gained in Christianity from cognition. You can read the Bible and get things through through your mind, but you can't get the whole picture. There is no Christianity that is not effective. There may be something, there may be a crippled piece of it, but Christianity in its reality is both cognitive and affective. And one of the reasons is, is that whether I like it or whether you like it or not, we are the whole man includes both of those. And for one of those to look condescendingly at the other is just unwise. And to get a little stronger, it's foolish. So doesn't the Bible say, didn't God say one of the main things he said was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy might. Might, heart, mind, those things aren't, uh, mind has some to do with cognitive, but it also has with the other to do with affective. But heart, soul, spirit, those things don't fit in those categories. And so, uh, we've we've also talked about the 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 Grecian uh, perspective on knowing, the Grecian uh, and the scientific method perspective on knowing is that it has to be done in an environment of detachment. That's the main word, detachment. You can't let your emotions get in there and make you just think. Well, it looks like it. No, no, we don't want anecdotal. Everything's got to be back here that's documented by research and so forth. So everything there has to do with detachment. Now, there, there is obviously a tremendously important place for this kind of thing. 
we study our Bibles. This is part of our makeup. So there's some people in this pendulum that's way over here that everything is cognitive and that you can't even say amen in their church without somebody correcting you. Well, at least if you say it twice, they're there to correct you and say, mm, don't be, you're, you're disruptive, you're out of order. So um, because everything, and, and then there's people that they don't know anything about preaching and teaching where they just get in the spirit and it's just incredibly exciting of what is being preached and they get caught up in it and the congregation they don't know anything about the rhythm in dimensions that how that this rhythm creates an atmosphere that is spiritually uh, pregnant with possibilities because because they do not allow emotion which is on the affective side so so you've got this grecian idea of knowing over here which the primary word is detachment over here on the complete other end of the pendulum you have the uh, hebrew way of knowing and that is completely affective and the word there, the primary word there, the primary word over here is you know by detachment. The primary word over here is you know by engagement. You have to engage the subject on a living, feeling level. And so that's why you can get the Hebrew definition of knowing. The first one in the Bible very early in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son. So knowing is engagement. It is emotional engagement. It is affectionate engagement. And so that leads us to other words like you cannot know a person that way without relationship, important word, and encounter. You have to encounter the God of the Bible because he's a living God. You have to establish relationship with the God of the Bible because he's a living God. This relationship, a relationship has dynamic uh, characteristics. It's characterized by dynamism where you can't just, you can't just, you can't just have a baby with your mind in detachment. There is, this, there is this relational thing. The Bible says you must be born again. Being born is into life. It's an experience. And, and uh, it comes out of encounter, and it comes out of relationship, and it comes out of a knowing that includes every aspect of the emotions in it. So so when we're engaging the God, think of this. One of the things that all of us agree on is that God is a God of a covenant. And he is a God of a covenant. We have a covenant with God. Well, covenant relationships are established on encounter and knowledge. And so... I'm a Pentecostal. It's not like I care that people know that. I'm thrilled if they know it. I'm Pentecostal because 
I have had a relationship with God. And Pentecostal is the term used for people who engage affectionately, openly, emotionally, excitedly with their God. So, but, but, but there is a, the, the mind, this is a polarity between cognitive and affective. And a polarity repels each other like a battery in your car, positive, negative, and the, they repel each other. But the tension of that repelling has to remain there. They, they're connected, but they repel. And so the mind uh, balks at worshiping God openly with all of the heart. The mind balks the idea of, at the idea of surrendering self completely to God physically, emotionally, spiritually surrendering to God until every emotion is sensitive to God. So what's happening with all these young people? Well, these young people are surrendering emotionally to God. It doesn't mean that their cognition is not working, but they are surrendering emotionally to God. So I would have to tell you, that's one of the reasons that we embrace this. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, and I, I, I encourage you to be with us. I do think I want to encourage you also to subscribe and to be a part of what's going on here on any, whatever platform you're hearing this on. It doesn't make any difference. You can just hit the subscribe button. I'm glad you're with us today, and I want you to join us tomorrow.